0: Hi, I'm Caitlin, and I'm Nicole, and this is, and this is
1: That's Not, That's how, not science how Science Works. <laughs> <laughs> We're never going to get it. You're a superhero,
0: you have a suit that can shrink you really small, and it can also grow you really tall, without giving you weird density. You're building a bridge, it's a quantum tunnel, so you can get to the quantum realm. Because that's a real place to which you can help. And it looks like a bad trip on LSD that seems plausible to me. Plausible to... You know, Pims, simply putting quantum in front of another word doesn't make it a real thing, or make it the thing you think it is. You keep saying this word, but I do not think it means what you think it means. That's not how science works. I can't think too much about-
1: Today we are talking about an instance of terrible science that somehow still makes a fun and interesting movie. Yeah. And that's Marvel's Ant-Man and the Wasp.
0: And we're not doing the original Ant-Man because we've both seen Ant-Man and the Wasp more recently.
1: (laughs) Also, I have not seen the original Ant-Man movie, so... Oh, that's right. You haven't seen the original movie.
0: I forgot that you hadn't seen the original movie.
1: Yeah. So there's some things that I just assume were explained in the original movie and maybe they never were, like how they're controlling the ants. Is it mind control? I don't know.
0: Maybe what we should do is I will give the summary that I remember of the first movie (laughs) and then you can give the summary of the second movie. Okay. And then we can talk about the science of the second movie. All right. Bear with me because the last time I watched Ant-Man, it was on a plane a few years ago. The movie starts with Scott Lang, who's been released from prison. And he went to prison for committing some sort of cyber crime against his employer who was a jerk.
1: Oh, wait, for real? He was like honorable thief and not just a thief thief? He was an honorable thief. I feel that is unfair. I assumed he was like an actual thief, you know, a petty larcenist.
0: Nope. So Scott is living with his friend uh, Louise and the other guy, the Russian guy. Basically, Luis tells him about this opportunity to rob someone that he heard about through the grapevine. Scott is initially reluctant, but after he gets fired from Baskin-Robbins, because apparently Baskin-Robbins always finds out if you're a con, Mm -hmm. he gets frustrated and he decides to go ahead with the crime. It turns out that the crime was set up by Hank Pym, because Hank Pym basically wanted to test Scott's skills.
1: Wait, Hank Pym hired him to rob himself yes yes hank pym
0: still owns the company i don't remember what his company is called pym company but he i think he was forced out from like day-to-day operations and so the actual ceo is developing ant-man like technology That Hank Pym does not trust the CEO with and he is worried that he will pimp it out to the military, which is what the CEO is planning on doing. The other thing you need to know is that Hope, who is Hank Pym's daughter, is on the board of directors or working for the CEO guy. I don't remember exactly her function, but basically she doesn't really like her dad, but she is secretly working with him to undermine the CEO and also get this technology stolen from the CEO. Hank Pym sets up this elaborate con with Scott where he teaches him how to use the Ant-Man suit and the Ant-Man suit allows the individual wearing it to shrink down. And he also equips him up with this like telepathic device that lets him communicate with ants. They have a bunch of different kinds of ants that kind of hang around Hank Pym's place. Ants that can like spit acid and ants that can build bridges and ants that can fly. And so they have like all sorts of ants. So he learns how to talk to the ants and use the Ant-Man suit and Hope teaches him how to fight.
1: If he was just like an honorable white collar thief, how did he actually learn how to be a thief?
0: I'm not 100% sure, and I'm pretty sure that he was a computer crime thief, but this is never really brought up again. But anyway, so they set up this whole heist to steal this technology that they're developing it. It's something like they get in and they almost steal it, but the CEO catches him, and then he goes to the house where Scott's ex-wife and daughter live. He threatens Scott's daughter,
1: Mm. which
0: is a big no-no because Mm -mm. Scott's daughter is
1: amazing. A-plus supporting cast in this film, by the way. But they have this whole fight.
0: Cassie almost gets hurt. Scott realizes that the only way to stop the bad guy is to shrink into the quantum realm. Basically, on the Ant-Man suit, there is a special regulator that keeps you from going too small because if you go too small, you'll go into this quote-unquote quantum realm from which you can't return. And when Hank Pym tells Scott about this earlier in the movie, he relates to him that Hank and his wife used to be a team that worked together for S.H.I.E.L.D. And there was a missile at some point that was being shot somewhere. And the only way to stop it was for someone to go into the quantum realm and Hank's regulator had been damaged earlier so he couldn't take it off. To go into the quantum realm, so his wife decides to sacrifice herself, takes off a regulator, is able to shrink small enough to like get into the bomb and break it up, but then she's lost in the quantum realm. Hank has already warned Scott that you can't go to the quantum realm. If you do, you'll be lost there forever. But since Scott's daughter is in danger, he shrinks himself, is able to stop the bad guy. He gets lost in the quantum realm for a while, but is ultimately pulled back by his daughter's screaming for her dad. He manages to bring himself out of the quantum realm, and everything is fine and happy, and that's the end of the first movie.
1: Yeah, you definitely don't need to watch that before you watch Ant-Man and the Wasp. And in fact, I think my imagining, plus what they tell us in Ant-Man and the Wasp, is actually better than reality there. Ant-Man and the Wasp opens with Hank Pym talking to his daughter, Hope. And then he mentions that until Scott went to the quantum realm and came back, he had always thought that his wife was lost forever. But when Scott managed to come back successfully, he took out these plans that he had to build this quantum tunnel so you could go in a more controlled manner to the quantum realm and come back. One of the big overarching plot lines of this movie is that they want to go to the quantum realm to get his wife and bring her back. And then we cut to Scott kind of having this weird dream where he's back in the quantum realm. And then he's not in the quantum realm. He's Hank's wife. What is her name?
0: I don't know. I just called her Michelle Pfeiffer.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer. Then he wakes up and he leaves a message for the Pims that he had this weird dream. Before we see that, we also see that Scott is on house arrest because of the events of Captain America Civil War. And is not supposed to have any contact with the Pims. Scott gets zapped <laughs> and wakes up and finds himself with hope. She and her dad explain to him that they think that he is quantum entangled with her mother, Michelle Pfeiffer. They need what's in his brain in order to track down where in the quantum realm her mom is so that they can get her and bring her back. She is trying to get apart from this dealer of rare electronics who has figured out that she is a Pym and wants to use her to get access to her lab and sell it to the highest bidder, a fight ensues. In that scene, Scott realizes that she also has a cool suit and hers, she's the wasp of the title. Hers has wings and blasters, which he is not trusted with. And then this mysterious figure shows up and fights with her. And the mysterious figure phases through matter. The mysterious phasing figure, which you can call Ghost or you can call Baba Yaga, depending on who you are in the film, (laughs) (laughs) manages to steal the part and also manages to steal the lab. Because at this point, the lab is shrunken down to like suitcase size. They go to uh, one of Hank Pym's old associates, whose name I'm forgetting right now, But it's Lawrence Fishburne.
0: If in doubt, just refer to them by their actor names. That's what I always do.
1: (laughs) His working relationship with Hank Pym was not a very good one. They parted ways with a lot of antagonism. He suggests that they try kind of reversing something about the regulator in order to triangulate where the lab is. They triangulate with only one device. More (laughs) on that later. It's revealed at some point a little before this that Ghost is a woman. They go to get the lab back from her. Scott and Hope are captured, and so is Hank Pym. We get some backstory from her about how she is the daughter of a scientist who used to work with Hank, but who Hank discredited and had fired from S.H.I.E.L.D. He continued his research and tried to clear his name, but he kind of cut corners and wasn't super safe. And his daughter was caught in a lab accident where the dad, her dad looks like he was building the quantum tunnel that we've seen them building the whole time. Uh, And there's this kind of like quantum explosion in the aftermath. She now has this kind of phasing that she can't control. She basically explains that her molecules are like tearing themselves apart and reassembling themselves constantly. So she's in constant pain. So we found out that her plan is she wants the lab so she can use the tunnel to extract energy from Michelle Pfeiffer this quantum energy and then hopefully this will fix her they end up getting out of the situation by using giant ants and they steal back their lab now they just need to like track michelle pfeiffer then he like suddenly is michelle pfeiffer she's like channeling him i guess she like placed an antenna in his brain somehow
0: quantum entanglement antenna
1: Yes. She's like, hey, use this to track me. This window is only open for two hours and then it'll be a hundred years before it's there again. The plan had always been for Hope to go into the quantum realm to rescue her mom. But now it has to actually be her father, Hank, who goes into the quantum realm because she and Scott need to fight off all of these forces converging on them. So they send her dad into the quantum realm and then Ghost comes, they shrink the lab. It gets stolen repetitively in a actually pretty fun sequence. So eventually the Texan has it. He's on a boat. They need to get it back because the two hours is almost up. So Scott gets really giant. The FBI is like, oh, that, he's there and he's not in his house arrest.
0: The reason he can get giant is explained in Captain America Civil
1: War. Oh, was that not in the first one at all?
0: Yeah, that's not in the first one. So just to, just to clarify, Scott talks about how in Captain America Civil War he has figured out how to make himself giant.
1: He goes and gets the lab from the ship and brings it back onto the shore. But one of the things that's established is whenever he gets giant, he gets like super sleepy because it takes a ton of energy. So he kind of like falls asleep and falls to the bottom of the ocean. Hope goes to go get him. During this time, Ghost gets possession of the lab again and she just opens the lab and she starts extracting energy from Michelle Pfeiffer character. I'm skipping an entire sequence where... Hank Pym was like shrinking and shrinking and shrinking and shrinking and then finally was small and then had like a psychedelic, psychotropic moment and then finally found Michelle Pfeiffer.
0: The quantum realm is like a total acid trip.
1: Yeah, (laughs) basically.
0: And it was in the first movie too.
1: Ghost starts pulling this energy out. It starts affecting Michelle Pfeiffer's character. Scott and Hope are able to take possession of the lab back from Ghost just in time for Hank and Michelle Pfeiffer to come back. They see Hope and Scott, and then also Michelle Pfeiffer heals Ghost using her magical quantum powers. It's all good, except for the fact that the FBI is on the way and they are all fugitives. Scott uses his giant costume to like distract the cops. Everyone gets back to where they're supposed to be and escapes successfully, except for the Texan and his associates, who are stopped. The super short version is quantum, quantum, quantum. They have to rescue Michelle Pfeiffer. Lab, lab, lab. There's lots of people who want it for various reasons. They get her out. Everyone is good in the end, except for the bad guy. The end. So, this movie is genuinely a really fun movie, and I saw it twice voluntarily. I really enjoyed it. But both times that I saw it, I recognized that the science was Marvel science, which is to say, not really. And I figured since we're so hard on The Flash, we should probably take the opportunity to also talk about other bad science in other movies, obviously. And maybe I wanted to discuss why the bad science doesn't bother me as much in this. So I wrote down, again, I'm like in a movie theater tried not to like be that person, but I did write down five things. They uh, unfortunately don't have a lot of context. So a couple of them, I like barely remember what the context was. So I'm just going to mention that they were a thing that I was like, that doesn't sound right. First one is one that I have no context. At one point, Hank Pym says something, something, Posner molecules, (laughs) something, something. And I wrote down Posner molecules because I was like, I don't know what those are. And I want to look that up. And I looked it up. I have no idea, based on what they actually are, what the context was supposed to be. Because what they actually are are these calcium phosphate clusters that originally was found in bones but also can be found kind of free-floating and like have interesting implications in imaging, it sounds like. But essentially, I don't know that area of science well enough to w- know what they are. All I know is I can't imagine how they have anything to do with the science in Ant-Man.
0: I mean, does anything relating to the science in Ant-Man have anything to do with anything in the real world anyways? The answer is no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's true. We should also make a quick note here that we are all the time talking in our, the Flash episodes about how the answer is the Speed Force. Well, the Marvel Universe equivalent of the Speed Force or the Ant-Man equivalent of the Speed Force is Pym Particles because they're magical and they canonically do not follow certain laws of physics. So I know this because I read The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, which, by the way, has excellent science in it. Thank you very much. And the unbeatable Squirrel Girl written by Ryan North with art originally by Erica Henderson, Hendrickson, and now by someone else. They have an issue where there's a team up with Ant-Man and Squirrel Girl explains how pim Particles do not follow the laws of physics. Yes. (laughs) It's pretty great. If some of you do research on Posner molecules or know more about them, let me know what they could have to do with the quantum or shrinking or being giant. The second thing I have written down... Please feel free to interject, Nicole, at any point. Is triangulation, because this is just like appallingly terrible sign, <laughs> because in the name, triangulation tells you what it is. So triangulation is how we find animals that we put radio collars on and stuff like that. And there's kind of other things. But if you have like a radio signal or a signal that you can detect, but it's like a unidirectional detection, You like it's not like GPS where you can see exactly where it is on a map. Triangulation is a way that you can figure out where it is by going to three separate points. I guess they could have been using triangulation properly, but they just like skipped ahead to it. You go to three separate points and you like measure what direction the signal is coming from and then you like draw a triangle on the map and figure out where it is. That's a gross oversimplification. But the way they show it in the movie, it seemed like they were suggesting that all you needed to do was turn on a device and then magically you would know exactly where something was. But now that I think about it, they did actually show the triangle drawn around stuff on the map. So maybe they just skipped the first two locations they stopped in and they only showed us the third location. Maybe they did it right. Okay. I think one of the things I appreciate about this movie, there's two things. one, really the science is just decoration and the the real meat of the story is all of the like character development that I skipped in my very long plot summary which is I think why it doesn't bother me so much that the science is not great
0: obviously the quantum realm plays a big part in this movie and the quantum realm is not a thing I hope that's not a spoiler for anyone listening to this that the quantum realm is not a thing
1: it's certainly not a drug trip
0: The word quantum just means that there is a certain amount of energy you need to reach a state. So I don't know what that means for a realm. Is there a certain amount of energy you have to have to reach that realm? (laughs) I honestly have no idea.
1: Yeah, I think they're just trying to find a way to say like subatomic, but make it sound fancy.
0: My guess is the following, that they heard the word quantum physics and they know that quantum physics have to do... At least partially with, like, subatomic particles, and so they confuse the words quantum with subatomic. But they are two very different things.
1: Yeah. And quantum does sound much cooler than subatomic, even though subatomic sounds pretty darn cool.
0: It does sound really cool. I totally agree with that. But I I think for me, like, the quantum realm is so magical in this movie that... Even though the science makes no sense and there is no such thing as a quantum realm. Or if there is, I I don't understand what it would be in real life compared to the movie. It doesn't bother me as much because they don't even really try to tie the science to the world. I think when I watch The Flash, part of the problem is... They take enough of real life science and then try to tie that into what is happening in the Flash, but stretch that science so far that it is no longer science that it bothers me. If you're not even really trying that much to begin with, I don't care.
1: Right, like when they have their absolute zero gun. Right, I think one of the things that is like a core issue with the Flash is like the incident that caused all of the things that happened in the Flash to happen is this particle accelerator. Exp- I mean, I'm sorry, we should like just not talk about the Flash. That's <laughs> all right. When they opened the CERN accelerator, they were like, oh, if it goes wrong, it could end the world as we know it or whatever. That was like a one in a billion chance. So much of the Flash just feels like making science into something scary.
0: And I think the problem is, too, like, once again, like, a lightning storm is a real thing. Particle accelerators are real things. Those are things that even if people don't understand how they work exactly, they have heard of particle accelerators, whereas a quantum tunnel, who the heck knows what that is? You're not tying this to real world science that anybody is familiar with at all, because, you know, it doesn't actually exist in the real world. So it bothers me less when it's just basically magic. Science as magic.
1: And the recognizable real world things like government group taking advantage of a person with this weird phasing ability and turning her into a weapon. That feels very plausible.
0: Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I totally agree.
1: The other thing that I think was great about this movie in particular is that Scott as a character it's this is why it's weird to me to hear that in the first movie he was allegedly like a white collar computer hackery kind of because his character is really not played that way in the second movie he really feels very blue collar one of the ways is in contrast with the pims who are like very 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 smart he's not dumb but he's not like quantum smart <laughs> sorry
0: well he's not in the first movie either
1: And there's this moment where he literally, and I love this part of the movie, he is in a room with Lawrence Fishburne, Hank Pym, Hope Pym, and himself. Hank, Hope, and Lawrence Fishburne are all talking, like, really heavy, like, physics-y, quantum-y stuff. And he just sits there and is like, but do you guys just put quantum in front of everything?
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a great part.
1: And it's funny and it's also true. Yes. Um, so much of the, quote, science, unquote, in this movie is just slapping quantum in front of something. Yeah. And it's funny because a couple things they talk about are actually real. So quantum entanglement and quantum coupling, which later gets thrown out there. And I think in the movie they're implying that they're the same thing, but I can't remember exactly because watching in a movie theater can't pause it, can't take notes the same way you do when you're watching The Flash off Netflix. I think they're implying that the same thing. Anyway, they're not the same thing. Quantum entanglement can happen at longer distances than quantum coupling. Also, I, when I try to research them, I can't actually tell exactly what they are. If I have a big weakness in science, which we forgot to talk about our credentials, but you guys know by now, and if you don't just listen to the previous six episodes, if there's one area of science that is particularly weak for me, it's physics because. I need to go over physics concepts multiple times in order to really get them. Honestly, it's not a priority in my life to go over physics concepts multiple times. I can't tell exactly what quantum entanglement and quantum coupling are, but they aren't what they are in this movie. No.
0: No. Quantum entanglement seems to be implied in the movie that, like, somehow part of Michelle Pfeiffer as a person got entangled with Scott Lang as a person. And that's why they have this connection that they are able to use to find Michelle Pfeiffer. And that's why she is able to kind of possess Scott Lang for a little while and talk to her family and tell them where to find her. That is not what quantum entanglement means. So quantum entanglement just means that you have a system and no part of the system is separable from the whole. That's clearly not what's, what's happening with Scott and uh, the mom in the AV. And quantum coupling means that you have components of the system and basically a change in state of one component means that all of the other components will, will change as well. Right. Which has to do with, like, subatomic particles. I have to admit, I didn't really do a lot of research for this episode because I think I've probably taken more physics than you, Caitlin, but probably not a ton more, for one. And for two, I don't think that you need to understand quantum physics to understand that the way they use quantum in this movie is incorrect.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And then I only have two other notes. One was just the ant control thing. I just decided to assume that they explain ant control in the first movie. And because I chose not to see the first movie, I didn't know what it was.
0: They just have like this connection where he is able to control the ants telepathically. Hank Pym does it a lot in the first movie as well, where he has like ants all over his house and controls them telepathically. It's different from Squirrel Girl, where she actually talks to the squirrels. This is like straight up mind control.
1: On the first watch through, I didn't think of this, but actually while I was watching last night, I was briefly, like, kind of disturbed by how the ants are being used as slave labor for the Pims.
0: Okay, I'm gonna say this. In general, I don't like mind control. It makes me highly uncomfortable. But it's also ants... If it was like a higher level mammal, I'd be like, no way. Maybe not to disparage ants, but I don't know how much quote-unquote humanity
1: they have. Ants do a lot of work for their hive queens as well. Right. I think the first time I was watching it, I was like, oh yeah, they use the ants because Ant-Man and also because they're a worker colony type social thing already. I don't know. Anyway, they are ants. They're not like a high intelligence high functioning high higher level mammal (laughs) i forget the exact way we say that it's not like they have an army of octopi octopuses octopuses
0: either one is fine (laughs) the other thing too is the ants don't really seem to mind being mind controlled in the first movie scott has a particular ant that he flies around on that he really bonds with i don't think the ants really care that much
1: And in this second movie, the way that Scott doesn't get caught for not being home when he's supposed to be home is that they, like, replace him with a giant ant.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they put his ankle monitor on the giant ant.
1: (laughs) He, like, is mind-controlled to mimic what Scott does. But there's a post credit sequence where in absence of people who could mind-control him, the ant is still, like... Playing the drums. Doing the (laughs) stuff Scott does. Yeah. (laughs) And so it's implied that that ant independently would choose to do that
0: side note scott needs to start an ant band (laughs) i'm not entirely sure how putting an ankle
1: monitor on an ant would would work they put it on you tight enough that it can't be removed and if you try to remove it it'll beep because it's being tampered with and it has like a perimeter sensor and therefore they know that the thing that the monitor was put on has not left but that doesn't really explain why the ant would have to mimic all of scott's behavior
0: well i guess if they were watching him really closely they would want to make sure that he's like at least walking around the house or something
1: I guess for me, a
0: lot of my science issues, aside from all of the what on earth is a quantum realm, that's not how entanglement works, is just the idea of how Ant-Man powers work. And this isn't exclusive to this movie. I also have this issue with the original movie. So it's fairly well established in the first movie. I think it's the CEO who's trying to sell the suit. To military personnel and is talking about, you know, wouldn't it be great if you could have some sort of agent who would be able to shrink themselves but would still weigh as much as a person so would hit people with the force of a bullet, you know, be able to do what you need to do and get into small places but be this strong individual. What bothers me about this is that the powers are very inconsistent in terms of density and weight. Like Hank Pym talks about how things get smaller because he shrinks the space in between atoms. I guess that sort of makes sense. There is a lot of space between atoms. Like I'm sure there's other implications that would
1: happen if you did that. Exactly. Like there are actually consequences to compressing atoms. But let's
0: just say for the the sake of argument that there are no further implications from shrinking the space in between atoms. Scott Lang, when he shrinks, would still weigh the same amount as a person because you haven't taken any atoms away. You've just basically made the same mass smaller. And that's the whole point of the power. That's why when um, Scott or Hope hits someone, you know, it's like they got hit by a person because they did in fact get hit by someone who has the weight of a person. Now, why that doesn't just kill them, I'm not sure. As the CEO points out in the first movie, person hitting you similar to a bullet, um, as we discussed in one of our previous episodes about the Flash, part of what causes damage isn't just the amount of force you're applying to someone but it's the force over the square area and if you have a very tiny person with a lot of mass who can somehow hit you very hard you know that damage is going to be very centralized it's going to hurt a lot more or i I should say not hurt a lot more but cause a lot more specific damage than just punching them as a you know regular full-size person It's established pretty early on that some of the importance of the powers is that whoever is being shrunk still weighs the same amount that they do as a regular-sized human being. But if that were a case, then, for one, your density would be much, much higher. Think about it this way. If you have, like, a piece of paper, when it's completely unfolded, it's not super dense. But if you crumple it really, really, really small, it seems to weigh more, even though... You haven't actually changed its mass at all, and that's because its density has changed. That would be the case with Scott or Hope when they shrink really small, is that they would have a very high density, and that would make it difficult to do things like walk on surfaces. Because their density would be so much greater than the things that they're walking on. You know, you would immediately sink in water. You would just drop because you are so much denser than water. The other thing is the fact that these characters have their same mass when they are small is inconsistently shown in the movie. So like when they punch someone, they have their same mass. But then, for example... Scott will ride ants that can fly to get to places. And if Scott still weighed as much as a person, he would never be able to ride an ant. There's a great visual in Ant-Man and the Wasp where the wasp is running along the side of a knife. And as you might imagine, if she weighed as much as a person, the minute she put her full body weight on that knife, it would just fly across the room. They establish the powers and they claim to establish how they work. But they don't actually work that way on a consistent basis. It seems more like Scott and Hope have the ability to control their mass at will. Like not just their size, they can also control their mass at will. Yeah. I find that kind of annoying when they specifically say like that's a part of their powers. And that's not to mention the fact for some reason when they're tiny people, they apparently can like jump a lot higher and stuff. I don't know that your anatomy would necessarily work that way when you're really small, but okay, Sure, sure, sure. Let's go with that. No, sure, because your muscles would also be a lot smaller, so you wouldn't necessarily be able to jump super, super high.
1: Exactly. One of the other, like, only barely related things is just that. So many times in this movie, there's a sequence where somebody has to rush off somewhere, and the first thing they do is shrink. Right. <laughs> It's not like you get faster when you get smaller. In fact, what happens- You're going to get smaller and slower. <laughs> yeah, you just got smaller and the distance between you and the thing you need to get to did not change and therefore your ability to transverse it is worse now. Right. Like there's a sequence where Scott is with the Pims in the Muir Woods and he has to like race home and so he shrinks to ride a flying ant. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Ants don't fly that fast. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean I I understand from the standpoint of not wanting to be seen Oh when yeah. you shrink, but I do not understand from the standpoint of you need to be in San Francisco in 5 yeah. minutes.
0: No, absolutely. Talking about size too. The other thing is that when Scott gets very tall, he also is extra strong. A, I don't know what about making you tall suddenly makes your muscles better. And B, once again, he would weigh the same amount that he did before, but now his his atoms, essentially the space between them has gotten much, much larger. He would weigh the same amount as a person, but his center of gravity would be very high and he would be this giant, not weighing that much per his size person. It would not be very hard to knock him over. <laughs>
1: Of course, there's a point where Scott falls asleep and then sinks to the bottom of the ocean and it's like, ah, no, he's going to drown. But if he was significantly less dense, would he have floated? He'd probably just float. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not even that hard. I mean, you have to be intentional about it, but it's not that hard to float as an actual human, especially in salt water because it's the ocean. Yeah. Now, it's not salt-like city easy where you could literally sleep as a person. Floating is easier in saltwater. Yes. And he's in saltwater and he's like super, super not dense. His density is very low. Yes,
0: exactly. Because once again, he is the mass of a person, but now he's 300 feet tall.
1: Yeah, exactly. Again, to clarify,
0: their powers are not only that they can change their size, but they can change their mass at will. If you add in the changing the mass at will, it kind of fixes a lot of this. And for some reason, the Pym Particles are able to affect your muscles so that when you're large, you are extra strong. And when you are small, you are extra springy.
1: Right. And you know, maybe what happened is that when they modified the like the new suits, added the ability to regulate mass. No, but that happens in the first movie, too.
0: Because he, he rides ants all the time in that oh. movie. He rides the ants even more in that Never movie. Never mind then.
1: Because I was going to say, in Civil War, he gets big for the first time and he's really easy to tip over. And yes, doesn't really know how to use that ability very well.
0: Yeah, no, that would make sense. But that is unfortunately not the case. Probably the reason why this bothers me is because I come into most movies, being critical of the science. I, I actually just listened to the episode of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour where they were talking about Ant Man and the Wasp, and they actually had the opposite problem that they thought there was too much science in Ant Man and the Wasp, and that the science explanation in Ant Man was fine because it was much shorter. Whereas to me, I was more bothered by the science in Ant Man because while the science explanation was much shorter, It had that flash problem where, again, they were trying to tie it to real world science, but stretching it so far that it's not actually science. Whereas in Ant-Man and the Wasp, I just felt like they weren't even trying to make it seem like real science. I'm fine with science as magic, but I don't like, quote unquote, magic science where you use science... And you say all these science words that are real and they strike with people as being like, oh, that's a real science term. But then you use science in ways that it can't actually be used.
1: Yeah. I actually really enjoyed the science in this movie. And I remember being kind of confused when I listened to that episode of Pop Culture Happy Hour because one of the things I really love about the science in this movie is it's nice to see scientists as heroes. And the heroics is the science, yeah. even if it's not real science. And the other thing I love about this movie is that the scientists more closely resemble the scientists I know in real life. They're not all old white dudes. There's Michelle Pfeiffer's character. Who multiple times people refer to her as a brilliant scientist. There is Hope Pym, who's obviously brilliant there's Lawrence Fishburne's character who like really cares deeply and who makes a point that like real science happens on teams not as individuals and that showboating is really a detriment to science. And even Hank Pym. Oh yeah, I 100% believe Lawrence Fishburne's character's assertion that Hank Pym was kind of like a, what I would think of as a somewhat toxic scientist to work with because he was showboaty and cared more about what the results he got were than who got hurt in the meantime. And I also definitely believe that Michelle Pfeiffer probably helped temper some of that. And then when she was gone, it was less tempered.
0: Oh, absolutely. Because everyone seemed to like his wife. They just didn't really like Hank.
1: I loved the science in this movie, even though it was fake science. Because I felt like what was more real, movie does a really good job of establishing stakes. It's just very fun. And every single side character feels like they have a whole life, a whole personhood, And they're meaningful and they add positively to the film.
0: Yes, I agree. And one of the things that I really liked about this movie is that almost all of the new characters are diverse. Mm -hmm. Caitlin and I actually talked about after she watched the movie for the first time. She asked me if it was that diverse in the first movie. And for the most part, you know, you had Hope as, like, a female executive in a company, which was great. But Hope was not a fun character in the first movie. She's much more fun here where she's playing more of the straight man to Hank and Scott as opposed to just kind of this angry, frustrated woman. I understand that a lot of times powerful women are perceived as angry or wenchy. But like she is actually when she in that movie. And so I like that in this movie, she is able to have more fun. She is able to play the straight man more. I like that she is just a more entertaining character in general. And she's able to have all of these awesome action sequences when it's established in the first movie that she is the one who has the actual fighting ability. And the only reason that she's not the one in the suit is that her dad doesn't want her getting hurt the way her
1: mom did interesting too that she is pissed at scott yeah initially in this movie and she very much is like you didn't call me you didn't invite me to come to germany and he's like would you have come and she's like well you'll never know because you didn't ask." right exactly she very much is punishing him but it's very justified yes absolutely she's not being uh, an explication yes. <laughs> because she's a yes. woman she's very justified. Of course she and her dad can't trust Scott. They are on the run from the feds because of a decision he made without them. Right,
0: exactly. And so I totally agree. Like, she is angry at Scott in this movie, but it's completely justified. And her frustration makes more sense. Whereas in the first one, she's bitter at her father for not being a better father. And she's only reluctantly working with him. And she's just... She's not a well-developed character. And she is not a fun character either. Like in this movie, there's a part where Louise is having a flashback. As part of his flashback, he talks about Hope. And it's just like, oh, look at me and my severe haircut. I'm no fun at all. I don't even know why you like me. <laughs> that is like exactly Hope from the first movie. So you have Hope and then you have Louise. But other than that, you don't really have any minority characters. The bad guy is a CEO and he's honestly not very well developed. He is kind of a bad guy because he's frustrated at Hank for not being a better mentor. Honestly, like that's what it comes down to. Whereas in this movie you have both Hope and Louise, but you have Hope's mom who is another female scientist, which is great. You have the FBI agent who is trying to figure out whether or not Scott. Oh man. Is he is
1: the best
0: breaking house arrest he is hilarious he is a fantastic straight man in this movie and he's asian which which i thought is great
1: he's asian he's not playing a stereotype no
0: he's not like it is a character that could have been written for any race and he just happens to be asian
1: You also have Ghost, who
0: is, I think she's half, yeah, she's biracial. She is a woman, once again, and like a really awesome woman. Like the best fighters in this movie are all women, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And then you have Lawrence Fishburne, who is another scientist, and he's African-American. I really appreciate that this movie is very diverse. And one of the great things about it, too, is the movie is set in San Francisco, which is a very diverse city. And it feels like it could be set in San Francisco because you have of all of these minority characters there and you have a lot of smart techie people in San Francisco. I don't understand why the pop culture happy hour people liked Ant-Man more. I actually liked this movie a lot more. Not to say that I didn't like Ant-Man, but I think that in Ant-Man, there's a lot of, there's kind of a lot of silliness that goes on in Ant-Man. Like they have this whole setup where, you know, Scott is supposed to steal from Hank to test his worthiness as a thief. And then they set up this whole elaborate scheme to steal the suit but it turns out the whole time hank pym had a tiny tank on a keychain and he could have just used that to get the suit out if you really wanted <laughs> It's just very silly. Whereas in this movie, like Caitlin was talking about, the the Texan guy, like he was a pretty simple character, but I understood him. I understood Ghost's motivations and I felt a lot of sympathy for her. And I think that Marvel has traditionally done a poor job with creating villains that I understand their motivations. I understood both of the motivations in this movie. So I thought that was great.
1: Yeah. Well, also, the original Ant-Man was kind of famously plagued by some problems behind the scenes. They had to switch directors. There was some rumors about it being just very uneven. That hangs over that first movie, whereas the second movie was definitely more sort of cohesive. Yeah. She says, having not seen the first film.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I thought that, like, the first movie was funny, but I thought this one was more fun. I've seen the first movie once, And I'm like, you know, yeah, I might watch it again if I was with friends or something, but I will absolutely watch Ant-Man and the Wasp again because it was so much fun.
1: Another thing that was fun, there were several like just fight sequences or chase scenes that were like really hilarious and they all used the powers very well. Yes. And because these powers are not like any other powers you see in any other Marvel or DC movies, after a while powers like captain america's or you know superman or thor start to feel the same yeah because it's all like i'm a dude who can punch people and has a thing i can throw look at my batarang or whatever right. but in this the power is different and they use the power very effectively yes in all of the fight scenes even if in order to use the power effectively they have to be able to change their mass at will right
0: you know for the most part i'm okay with it it just bothers me a little bit <laughs>
1: Yeah, But no, I totally agree. During the chase scene where the lab just keeps changing hands multiple times, there's a lot of like stuff getting big and stuff getting small and stuff getting small so that it can maneuver the streets of San Francisco more effectively and stuff getting big so that it can get in the way of a motorcyclist. It's just really great use of this.
0: Absolutely. Power. I think I was watching a Nerdwriter episode. So the Nerdwriter has a YouTube channel and he was talking about why the Marvel movies, the fight sequences seem to be so much better than the DC Universe movies. Not actually talking about the TV shows here because I think that they largely avoid what I'm about to talk about, but he notes that the Marvel powers interact in interesting and unusual ways. And I think that is highlighted in this movie, whereas the DC Universe movies, everyone is just pretty much a tank. Like no one really has different powers. They're all just strong and they punch stuff and it's not clear like who is more powerful than someone else whereas the marvel movies do a much better job of people have distinct powers and they interact in interesting ways and some people are stronger than others the fight sequences in this movie are really fun to watch they use the powers in very interesting ways but talking about the lab shrinking and getting bigger this was another complaint that caitlin and i had about the science
1: (gasps) Oh, I completely forgot about this. Yes. And
0: this was something that bothered me as well. The lab somehow is able to shrink to the size of a suitcase. And yet nothing is disturbed in the lab, even though when they go into the lab, nothing seems to be like hammered down. They still have electricity running in the lab. The lab is shrunk and switches hands multiple times while Hank Pym is in the quantum realm. So apparently electricity is running something. And somehow, despite the lab getting, like, thrown all over San Francisco, it's all fine. The lab is so structurally sound that it can just be moved along
1: like a suitcase. And that that's not... No. Yeah. And somehow it's completely independent of water mains, sewage, <laughs> right. electricity. Right. Like, all the things that, like, buildings in the city have to Right. Have. Exactly. It's actually very difficult to be completely off the grid. You have to like build your thing specifically to be off the grid. And all of the science that they are doing, like they would have to like have massive amounts of electricity. You know what? They have a nuclear reactor in the basement. That's what I've decided. They probably
0: do. And not just that. At the end of the movie, Hank Pym retires with his wife to some beach and he just puts a house on the ground and makes it big. And it's like you do realize that you need a foundation for that sort of thing and that house is just going to sink into the beach, right? (laughs)
1: Oh, yeah. Plus, I hope you don't care for indoor plumbing. Yeah, exactly. They'll just
0: pee in the ocean. It'll be fine.
1: The other thing, too, is they're using these incredibly delicate scientific instruments. Oh, yeah. And yet they're throwing this lab around like it's a tackle box. (laughs) Exactly. Here's a quick example. I live in Minnesota. Several years ago, they built a light rail that went past the University of Minnesota, and there was a lot of controversy because of the path they chose to take because it went too close, quote, unquote, to some scientific laboratories. The laboratories were concerned that the construction of the light rail was going to cause their instruments to be thrown off because of the increased vibrations from the light rail construction. And that's like in a solid building that's at least 20 feet away from what is happening. It's not something that's literally thrown around right. between people. <laughs> but it's fine. All the scientific instruments are fine. Yeah. They don't need to no, be recalibrated. they're all good. It's good. Sure, sure,
0: sure. Let's
1: go with that. It's all good. There was
0: no... There was no drop in electricity while Hank was in the quantum realm. He was perfectly fine. His wife was perfectly fine. They're all fine. How are you?
1: Exactly. And they also never explained how Ghost got her little, like, hyperbaric chamber. No,
0: I just assumed that Lawrence Fishburne made it for her. But I don't know how it works. I don't know how it keeps her particles, molecules together.
1: I don't know. Also, one thing I was not sure of is she's sort of, like, healed near the end of the movie, but then there's reference in the mid-credits scene to, like, gathering quantum healing force for their ghost friend. Yeah. I don't know if she, like, continues to – if it's, like, a treatment she has to have. I don't know. That's kind of irrelevant. Yeah. One thing I'm intrigued by is that uh, Michelle Pfeiffer makes a comment to Hank Pym that she's not the woman he remembers and that, like, the quantum realm has changed her. And I wonder if that means that she's going to have some kind of special insight in the future film. I'm not really sure. I
0: hope she just says, like, straight up awesome powers.
1: (laughs) Yeah. The last thing I want to mention is just, like, a little Easter egg that they put in there which is that when Hank is on his way to the quantum realm, he goes through, like, several phases where he, like, shrinks more and more and more. And at one point, he's micro, but he's not subatomic yet. And he goes past these tardigrades. Tardigrades are one of like the model animal, model organisms that we use in a lot of scientific study. I've never studied them, but I do recognize what tardigrades look like. And they do get referenced later by Michelle Viper as tardigrades. I'm not really sure if tardigrades would just be floating in the air everywhere like that. I don't think that's how tardigrades exactly work, but it is supposed to be like a cute little Easter egg for people who know about tardigrades.
0: Gotcha. The last things that I want to mention have nothing to do with science are two non-science quibbles I have in the movie. The first one is when they find Michelle Pfeiffer in the quantum realm. Michelle Pfeiffer always looks amazing. And I get that the quantum realm has, you know, these special healing particles. But how on earth after 30 years in the quantum realm does she have perfect makeup? Her eyeliner is on point. Her eyeliner is way better than mine ever looks.
1: She has new clothes. Who knows where those came from? And no wrinkles. No.
0: The particles in the quantum realm, do they somehow also regenerate her makeup? Or was there also a makeup artist lost in the (laughs) quantum realm with her? And if so, I really want that makeup artist story because that sounds fascinating. (laughs) Yes. The second one is when they are having a lot of these hijinks, they are driving around San Francisco and I don't know if you've been to San Francisco, but I've never been to Fisherman's Wharf where there is zero traffic. <laughs> that's Maybe that's a, another effect of the quantum realm is there's just not traffic when you want there to not be traffic. And then my third thing is that Scott is renting a lovely house in San Francisco And I'm fairly certain he's renting because he's not mentioned as having owned a house in the first movie. In fact, he's living in this tiny flat with, you know, Louise and this crazy Russian guy because he can't afford anything else. And yet somehow in this movie, he is renting this beautiful Victorian San Francisco house despite the fact that his company is not doing that well financially. I mean, probably that's why the company is not doing well financially is that they are subsidizing... Scott's lease on this house. I mean, San Francisco is one of the craziest housing markets. Like, I have friends that live in San Francisco. One of my friends like lived in a nice part of San Francisco, but not downtown by any means. Um not in as nice of place as Scott is living in. She was renting a two-bedroom apartment that they had converted into a three-bedroom apartment by turning the formal dining room into another apartment and they shared one bathroom and she paid almost as much in rent paying just for her room in that apartment as i do and i live by myself on a river i don't know how scott affords this that thing probably costs like five grand a month plus my thought is that tony stark felt really guilty after the events of captain America's civil war And the fact that, you know, Scott, who didn't really know what was happening at the time, got caught up into it and then was in house arrest for a few years and couldn't see his daughter as much as he wanted to. So Tony Stark felt guilty and he is subsidizing Scott's lease. That's the only thing that makes sense to me.
1: Maybe he actually owns that building and he's the landlord. Maybe he does.
0: San Francisco, man, like just watch House Hunters. Yeah, I have a million dollars as my budget and I can only afford this tiny little closet with 400 square feet because it's in San Francisco. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. And also because it's House Hunters, it's like, I am a puppeteer and my wife paints China for a living and our budget is $1 (laughs) million. Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> yeah this doesn't make sense to me caitlin that that honestly bothers me more than the quantum realm stuff in this movie does
1: <laughs> i can see that i can see that well overall despite this movie being summarized as that's not what quantum means <laughs> yes <laughs> i really enjoyed it and i would recommend
0: it. i absolutely recommend it too especially if you're feeling a little bit of superhero movie fatigue This one is light and fun. The villains are more interesting and the powers are more interesting than a lot of the Marvel movies. I Yeah, I really enjoyed this one too.
1: I actually think it's especially a good watch after the very heavy plod that is Infinity War. Agreed. Totally agreed. Alright, well thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed a little break from The Flash. I've enjoyed my break from the flash.
0: <laughs> so have I. I'm the one who edits all of these episodes, and I hear us complain about the science so much, and I just relive it.
1: <laughs> um, if you want to find us on social media, Nicole, do you remember what our social media is? <laughs> our oh, here I have it. Our handle is, that's not how
0: science works pod, but only the initials, so T-N-H-S-W pod. That is our Twitter handle for this podcast. We also have a website now. It's that's not science.com Ooh. where you can find all of our episodes and other snarky
1: content written by Nicole. And that's pretty much the only places we're like active online for this podcast. We have an Instagram, yeah. but I don't actually imagine us ever using it, except maybe I don't know
0: what we're going to post, post NASA
1: pictures. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah repost this nasa picture it's a sweet picture of the day by nasa (laughs) or you can find uh separately on twitter but i'm sure that you can figure it out
1: (laughs) yeah all right well we'll see you guys next time where we will probably be talking about the flash again oh no
0: (laughs) the flash the science the science The (laughs) Uh, All right. Bye. Bye. Hey, this is Nicole here. I just have a few updates I'd like to make to this episode before we close out since we recorded this a few weeks ago. The first is that if you are enjoying this podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you would go on iTunes and give us a rating and a review. Uh, This is not just so that people can find us, although that does help other people find us. It's also for my morale. It takes a crazy amount of time to put together just one podcast episode a week. Really hearing your feedback and your reviews and hearing that you like this podcast is great for my morale. Right now, we have two reviews on iTunes. Uh, One of them says that it is a gift to society, and the other one calls this a super awesome podcast. And I only wrote one of those reviews, but (laughs) if you would like to give us another review, I personally would really appreciate it. The other thing is, and honestly, this is probably more for Caitlin than anyone else, But Caitlin has asked that I put together a list of all of the theme songs for the episodes. So I have started a band camp site for the podcast. It's under the name that I sort of record under called Raspal Rhapsody, but I'll just put a link to it in the show notes. If you want to go there, you can listen to all of our episode songs. I'm honestly not sure if you want to do that, but Caitlin wants to do that. So it's happening. If you want, you can also buy our songs. Again, I'm not sure why you would want to do that, but sure do it any any money that you quote-unquote buy our songs using i will count as a donation towards the expensing costs for running this podcast because it's not expensive but there's a little bit there so again thank you so much for listening hopefully you will tune in next week for our discussion review of episodes 9 and 10 of the flash caitlin caitlin's buckling down she's buckling down for this don't worry she's on board still Thank you very much, and I hope that you have a quantum awesome day.